Imagine More is a weekly podcast that explores the stories, passions, successes, and failures of young, unconventional entrepreneurs. Chantel works to uncover the person behind the passion and unpack the ingredients of their entrepreneurial minds. What is it that makes them imagine more? Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, I'm really excited to welcome KP. KP has over 20 years of experience consulting with startups, enterprises, and Fortune 500 company. He is packed full of knowledge, and I'm excited to just jump right in. Hi, KP. Welcome to the Imagine More podcast. Hey, how are you? Good. We're excited to have you on the show and learn from all of your wisdom and, and serial entrepreneurship. To kick things off, do you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about you? And I know that that's a loaded question. And where do you start? But or maybe more specifically about Shadow Ventures. Yeah. So um, we formed Shadow Ventures. I basically started Shadow Ventures because I started seeing a lot of serial entrepreneurs wanting to get into venture capital. And what's interesting is because you're an entrepreneur and have been successful doesn't make you a good venture capitalist. And so it really, it's become a platform for folks that are very similar to me. Uh, I turned 48 in a few months that are, I, I call it the midlife crisis of entrepreneurship, um, where we look at it and we say, do I really want to spend another five to 10 years building my next company? Uh, or would I rather have a portfolio of companies and provide more scale to my time uh, than being in the trenches every day? So it's, it's really hard to start a fund. Uh, it's not trivial, no matter how much credibility you have, um, because it's really just a different audience. You know, you're dealing with large institutional investors. So the idea is to become a platform for serial entrepreneurs to maybe start a venture fund on my platform in a space that they are very passionate or interested in and have deep expertise in. And where did the name come from? Um, so there's kind of a running joke that I'm in every deal. You just don't know it. Like there's this joke around town that, well, of course, KP's in the deal, like, and that I'm kind of always behind the scenes doing things. So uh, a friend of mine in the music industry was kind of like, you know, you're like the ghost in the machine around here. You're just always somewhere. So um, yeah, we, we kind of play a model where uh, we have a lot of industry knowledge and we're behind the scenes. And it's very rare that an entrepreneur shows up to my doorstep that I don't already know everything about them. I'm just validating if they're going to tell me the truth or not. So that's kind of where it came from. It's kind of this behind the scenes approach. Okay. That's yeah. Like a good rapper name or something. Yeah. Shadow or ghost. <laughs> um, so you mentioned you went into this with the thought that, okay, you don't want to scale another company. So you, you want to be more mindful of time. Has it been true to that? And, 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 or is it kind of exactly like starting another company and you're figuring out a completely different model? Yeah, so one of the things I, I'm pretty true to sticking to seed stage companies. So we invest in pre-revenue companies, um, which is really, really hard because your due diligence isn't whatever 10 pieces of paper the entrepreneur gives you. It's really your ability to leverage your network and knowledge uh, outside and figure out if there's an opportunity here or not. Um, so it, it's, it's very different playing seed stage. And what we figured out, uh, to your point, is that we're having to build our business as we go in terms of how I hire. We've had a, a lot of mishires because 
we thought people with venture capital experience would actually be super helpful. Uh, it turns out they're kind of like corporate people. It's not that they aren't great at their job. It's just when you're playing in our space, um, it's just very different. So you don't have time, you don't have resources. Um, you have to be fairly self-sufficient uh, at what you do and, and be super knowledgeable and, and willing to get your hands dirty. So what we've done is we've actually built uh, a pretty awesome process to streamline everything. And my background is more of the technical side. So for me, if I, if, if I have to do something more than twice, I'm going to get someone to write a piece of software to make it better and faster. Hmm. What, what are you looking for when you, I mean, because they're in the seed stage, is it primarily the, the founder and their personality or the product and service? Or I guess, is that part of that process and how you pre-qualify? Yeah. So we want to see, um, so I have fundamental opinions on if you're going to start a technology company you should probably be a technologist or a formerly a technologist um, because really the, the technology is what people are investing in. Um, they're investing in that, in the defensibility of that technology. So I'm not a huge, you, know, you have to have 10 patents type of person. Um, but if you really want to scale your business and be highly defensible, um, it's important that your technology kind of be magic, right? So if you look at Google and you start typing in something and it starts filling out what you were thinking, that's kind of the magic of technology. So I'm, I'm always looking for that spark of magic in the technology uh, that makes it very interesting. Hmm. That is a good point. Really fascinating to think through. You touched on a background in tech. Let's dive even deeper. So tell us a little bit about the companies you've had before this. Yeah. Where does it all start? Um, so my first company I sold when I was 19. Um, while I was still at Georgia Tech, which was uh, kind of a real estate play. And then I started a software company uh, as soon, you know, worked for about three years, but was building it on the side. Uh, and my first company was focused on uh, project management, like construction management on the web. And that was in 1997. And quickly, um, this is a company that me and a partner started on a credit card, cash advances. And um, turns out that the construction people in 1997 thought the internet was a fad and that fax machines were forever. And um, I was out of my mind. But we were fortunate we pivoted into the telecommunications space that didn't have that attitude. And that company we were able to scale from two guys to 1,200 people on the NASDAQ in three years. And that company was called Verso Technologies. Um, so, so did that, and after 9-11, uh, created a lot of ripples to the business environment we were in, and uh, I ended up leaving that company in 2002 um, and took a, what was supposed to be a two-year sabbatical. It lasted about a year um, to go find my next thing, and then started a company. Um, I saw this technology called building information modeling, which was essentially simulating construction in the computer before you actually build the building. And I saw the technology and had fresh scar tissue from all the construction people that told me the internet was a fad. So I approached it in a very cautious way uh, and built a company around BIM uh, and basically BIM analytics that we ended up uh, exiting in 2009 to a group in the Bay Area. Um, so then I commuted to the Bay Area for about two years, uh, working on, you know, wrapping up my earnout and all the things that happen when you sell a company. 
Uh, and then after that, I got a call from um, a group that was investing in Frank Geary, the architect out in LA, and they were creating a, a tech company focused on architectural design. And so they brought me in to try to do something with that. And that was, um, that was about a year commuting to LA. And then uh, after that, I took another sabbatical, <laughs> another year <laughs> off. Uh, what I call it, actually, I have a book called What You Know About Startups is Wrong. And I, I kind of chronicle all the massive failures I've had and kind of what it did to strain my relationships and all that good stuff. Um, but, you know, took that year off and then basically got recruited to come uh, volunteer at Georgia Tech's ATDC. And then next thing you know, I was in charge of ATDC. So I did that for a year. And that's when I kind of decided there were a lot of folks like me that have been serial entrepreneurs that we still want to get our hands dirty. We just don't want to have to deal with the day-to-day of getting our hands dirty. And the idea of being a mentor at one of these incubators just isn't fulfilling enough for those of us that actually do things. And the economic benefit doesn't exist. I mean, at the end of the day, um, a lot of us have a ton of experience and we have, we still have economic goals that we're trying to achieve. And um, unfortunately, you know, we try to give back to the community as much as possible, but that's not really, you know, something that we can focus 100% of our effort on. We're actually out still trying to build and win markets and disrupt things. Mm-hmm. It's like the competitiveness coming out, like not being able to settle, I imagine. Well, I have so many questions. I mean, the first thought, I'd, I'd certainly relate on the fax machine, and thankfully we don't get pings for that. But there's still some people that are like, could you have a fax number? And drive me bonkers. Um, so we're still not over that hump, apparently. The, the other thing that I had written down, kind of frantically writing notes, that software company, the Versotech, three years, two people to 1,200 people. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't imagine, I mean, the process and the systems and the hiring, just for us to hire one person every month this year has been overwhelmed. Um, were you always in the CEO role for that company or, or kind of CTO? No. Uh, so I started off as CEO and I took my, pre, before we went public, I took myself out of the CEO chair and brought in an entire management team. Um, I was 28 years old or so. I basically believed I had no business running a public company. Funny story, the first stock like brokerage account I had uh, with public company stock in it was my own company. Like I never even owned a share of GE or anything. Like that's not the that's not my background. <laughs> we didn't grow up with uh, brokerage accounts and things like that. Um, so I really felt like I was highly unqualified to run a public company. And so what I basically asked the board was, I want to stay on as CTO uh, and work on mergers and acquisitions because we were doing a lot of acquisitions, and I just wanted to learn. Um, I didn't. I wanted to get my get my MBA on the job, so to speak. So we had a stellar executive team, and I, uh, you know, we were doing, I think we we're doing about five or six acquisitions a year, and I was driving all of those. So I got a lot of experience in the M and A world in a very hands on way. It's very self aware to be able to, you know, put that that vision or passion or pride. I mean, whatever the word you want to use in that scenario aside, and say someone else needs to be doing this with more experience. Um, sometimes you, I mean, on the flip side, when people aren't going public, there's still that imposter syndrome of like, am I the right person to be leading this company? Who am I? I don't know anything. I'm just figuring this out as I go. But I, I imagine 
when you're about to go public, it's a different scenario. So I, that's really interesting. It's, um, it's funny you say that. I mean, generally speaking, when you're at, you're you're generally not the right person. As an entrepreneur, you're generally not the right person for the job. Um, and that's generally unimportant. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I um we're about five years in and I'm I, I know that the CEO role is is not right for me. I would love to just kind of be left alone and cranking out sales. Um but but we're not there yet. So <laughs> we've got to figure that out. Um so you touched on, I mean, well, I guess since you were in Georgia Tech and in college, you've had your own companies. So you've, you've never worked for anyone else with maybe some consulting pieces fitted in. But did you come from a family that were serial entrepreneurs? Um, a little bit. You know, it's hard. My dad passed away when I was 15. So my memories of him was always, he, he was a um, kind of nationally known structural engineer uh, here in town. And um he always had something going on. You know, he was chief engineer of MARTA and Portman and Heary. And as a kid, I remember him always having something. There was a real estate deal. There was something. His day job was never satisfying enough is all I remember. <laughs> so um, so I think there is that thread. And, uh, and actually, my brother and one of my brothers and my sister are very entrepreneurial as well. Um, and they do their own thing, too. So I think it is definitely... Um, we've been going through a little bit as a uh, me and my kids and my fiance. We've been kind of going through this process of, um, you know, kind of charitable giving for the future, kind of laying out kind of vision. And um, as we've facilitated that process, it's been very focused on, well, you know, you care about entrepreneurs. That's probably where your should giving should go, right? You care about people that don't have, um, that are not entitled, that are not privileged and you think they make the best entrepreneurs, so probably our charitable giving strategy for the future should be more focused around those kind of things. So yeah, we're very entrepreneurial. That's great. How often do you sit down as a family? Is this a yearly commitment to kind of sit down and reflect and plan for the next year? Yeah, um, it tends to happen around this time of year. You know, this is, to me, December is, um, I, I try not to work work as much. I tend to do a lot of lunch and breakfast meetings with friends and former colleagues, you know, all the people you don't get to see all year because you're too busy. Um, this is actually the first two weeks in a row I've been in Atlanta this year, all year. So my travel schedule has been pretty hectic. Um, so we, I think December tends to be that time of reflection for us to say, you know, what did we do this year and what worked and what didn't work and, you know, start to map out what we want to do next year and try to start working to manifest that for next year. That's great. So you touched earlier on, you know, if you do something twice, then you're going to figure out a program, piece of software, write down the process. When you were first starting all of these other companies or, or even shadow ventures, what is the first thing you typically outsource because you, you recognize it's not a strength? Um, so I, I think the way I look at outsourcing is you still have to build your own process, right? You have to, whenever you outsource something, you're rarely upskilling that capability, you're generally downscaling that capability. So you can't give people, um, you, you can't not give them direction. So a lot of it is figuring out how do you de-skill your processes in a way, you know, accounting is usually the first to go, um, which is, you know, just because once you set it up the right way and you get it all going and you have your process, it's very easy to outsource that or automate that. 
um, you know, I'm trying to outsource less and automate more. Uh, if I can apply a little bit of AI here, a little bit of this there, um, and take people out of the equation, uh, I'm going to continue to do that. Nice. That I mean, kind of, I guess, just bringing back the people piece, I really admire when you when we were even scheduling this to set up, you bring in someone else to help with that process. So there's not that back and forth for you of what day works, what doesn't work, you know, the follow-up piece. Mm-hmm. Have you always had someone helping kind of monitor emails and taking that off your plate so you don't have to get bogged down with some of the weeds? No, um, it's something that really in the last two years, um, you know, my, my email volume is now edging 400 emails a day. And uh, I actually put a post out there on LinkedIn because I've had people get mad at me for putting them in a process cycle. And they're like, well, you know, I don't understand. Like, why can't I just have a call with you? Um, and I send them my Calendly link and they're like, wow, you don't have anything available till March. And I'm like, exactly. Like that's, <laughs> I'm trying to build process here, right? So uh, people get offended. And I posted, I posted this little post on LinkedIn saying, you know, I'm sorry if I'm offending you that I'm trying to build a business and create process here. <laughs> but um, it's just gotten a little bit out of hand. You know, our inbound uh, has become super tremendous. We get a lot of referral base. You know, our, our, uh, our investors love us. Um, and when investors love you, they tell their friends and, uh, and all that. So, you know, I've got a great team and everybody knows what they need to do. Uh, and I try to hire people that are just better at what they do than I am. You know, it's just uh, the, the total talent scale of how you look at people. So we try. We're in work. You know, we're trying to keep up still. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I'm glad you mentioned that process cycle. We recently, our whole team added something to our email signature about prioritizing human interactions. And so we we only work to clear our inbox once a day, but we'll definitely respond within 24 hours. And then we also utilize tools like Calendly so that there's not that just horrendous, like, no, can't do this day. I mean, it just drives me nuts. Um, and we got, there have been two emails so far, like, oh, you know, you prioritize this, this human approach, but you basically are just kind of, I mean, I guess, adding us to a process cycle. And I'm, I'm, I was shocked both times I received, I was like, how do you guys not get it? Do you really want to spend time doing this too? Like, your time's valuable. Um, but it was interesting to hear that feedback. Yeah, no, it, it's very, um, it, it's hard. I mean, it, we're, talk, we're all trying to prioritize our time and spend our time appropriately. Uh, I actually have a couple of AI tools I run on my email. I have a couple of different email boxes and one I'm testing right now with uh, a bot that basically responds because, you know, when startups hit me up, um, I have a pretty standard rubric in terms of how I engage with them. And so I've started to um, actually run an engine that will say, go read this and see if we're a fit. And then they come back and then it's like, well, go read this other thing and see if we're still a fit. Go fill out this form and see if we're still a fit. And it's amazing. Um, Entrepreneurs are so uh, optimistic that they go through this rubric and the entire time, I am not, we are not a fit. From step one, we are not a fit. And they keep pushing it ahead. Somehow they are going to convince me that they are a fit you know i have zero portfolio companies in cannabis (laughs) yet i have people that are in cannabis somehow think it's nowhere on my website i don't talk about it it's nothing i do but i think the optimistic 
tone of entrepreneurs, like, no, no, if I can just get a meeting with you, I will convince you. Um, and I try to explain to people, we are disciplined investors. We have limited partners. You know, we have other people's money. It's not just my money. We have to be great fiduciary of that money. And that means we have a box in which how and what and why we invest in companies. And if you don't fit in that box, it doesn't mean that you're a bad company or a bad entrepreneur. It just means you're not a fit for me. And as much as I've tried to push an engine where entrepreneurs self-select, you know, they self-select themselves in or out based on what they see, uh, I still have about 30% that just think that pure, you know, it's just sheer will will get them a deal with me. Hmm. You got to admire that persistence, but <laughs> you wonder if maybe a couple years down the line, they'll, they'll recognize and come back with just a different, better, you know, or a different idea that fits that box a little bit better. Yeah really want to work with you. <laughs> I, I thought at first you were going to say that helps weed people out because people aren't patient to go through that process. Um, and it reminded me of our interview process. We've got a lot of steps and a lot of small details integrated throughout that if you know they don't respond with a certain thing that we've asked them to, it's like, well, you didn't read the entire brief. So I was thinking you were going to say it weeds people out, but it was the opposite. No, I mean, look, I think there is, um, I mean, there are bad entrepreneurs. Like, I mean, there's a talent challenge that we have um, because everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but they don't necessarily want to do the work uh, to get the domain knowledge of being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, they, they get excited about an idea and solving a problem. Um, but in most cases, there is an investor looking for the right deal and there's a deal looking for the right investor. Um, and I feel like entrepreneurs sometimes don't, they just want to, you know, uh, spray and pray on emails, right? They just want to send a bunch of emails out. They don't do their homework. Um, and you know, what they don't understand is most of our, most of us investors, we all talk to each other. And so when you reach out to me and like, you didn't even read the website, you didn't read like what our core thesis is and you keep banging on me, like, I don't even want to refer you to somebody cause you can't even read the website. And so what I really try to tell entrepreneurs is like, you've got to read what we all put out there, what we do and what we love and what we're focused on. And we don't have a lot of flexibility in that. That's not how we operate. And, um, but if you meet me at an event and say, Hey, KP, I know I'm not a fit for your business because I've done my homework. Do you have any friends that I could be a fit for? Do you know anyone in your network? I am super, I try to be super helpful with that stuff, right? You're, you'll get further by saying, hey, I, I know, I know I'm going to acknowledge I'm not investable to you, but could you refer me to somebody that I might be a good fit for? Yeah, no, that's a great point. We'd love to talk a little bit, just to kind of wrap things up about risk reward um, and you're investing other, you know, a fund of other people's money. Um, is there a mistake that comes to mind? Maybe not so much as an investment, but that you've made in your business history that comes top of mind that it, you would encourage other entrepreneurs not to make or learn from that mistake, hearing it from you? Um, I think, you know, try, it, it's all about focus. And, you know, it's funny when I say that everybody around me laughs because uh, I definitely do not focus well. You no, know, I, I should take my own <laughs> advice kind of thing. Um, but there's, there's a basic theory that I try to get people buying in on and, you have a, as a startup, you have a limited amount of resources. That's cash and time. 
And so when you go to look at executing, executing on that market or whatever you're going to do, you need to stay within the boundaries of those resources. And that requires so much focus. You know, you have to decide, you know, if I only have enough resources to be the best, you know, the best PR company in Atlanta, um, that's probably not good enough. Like you probably don't have enough resources. You probably, then you have to say, I'm going to be the best PR company in Atlanta that serves startups under $5 million within the metro of Atlanta. Then you might have a shot, right? And so it's that matching of resources. Uh, and I think that's where I've made mistakes as an entrepreneur is I try to acquire market and customers beyond the actual resources I had available because I wanted to think big. And I think you should think big and you should have a big vision, but you got to figure out how to get that first. I know I call it the, the, the first monopoly. You've got to go monopolize some market. It doesn't matter how big it is. You just need to own it and then go from there. And so um, you know, my biggest mistake I've made that I try to give startups advice is, you know, you think you're focused, you're not focused enough. Yeah, no, that's that's really great advice. I think that resonates quite a bit. We come across kind of in our social media marketing space companies that will come and say, I'd like to talk to and get in front of and my customer market, you know, my personas are ages 18 to 50, men and mm-hmm. women. And I'm like, I that's everyone. And do you really think your product or service is meant for everyone? Uh, mm-hmm. So I do think there's a lot of value in specifically on the niche side. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, you touched on traveling and I know you're extremely busy. How do you recharge when you're jumping from place to place? Do you ever feel drained or just have this innate, um, energy? No, no. Um, I, you know, yoga is a big part of my life. Breath, breath work is a big part of my life. Uh, I try to overhydrate. I try to, I actually, just before our call, I was taking a nap. Uh, I have this rule when I'm sleepy, I take naps. That's amazing. People are like, what? And I'm like, uh, yeah, when I'm sleepy, I take naps. And they just think it's the most bizarre thing <laughs> that, that I just say it out loud. And I tell them, I tell them my portfolio company, if you're sleepy, you should take a nap. Like that, you should go to sleep. And uh, I try to uh, sleep as much as I can, constantly hydrate, meditate, you know, just um, disconnect. I have two cell phones. One is a dumb phone, like it's an emergency phone that my kids and fiance and other people dear to me have. No one else has it. So I leave my smartphone in the hotel room and I'll go walk around for two hours and, you know, be disconnected. That's amazing. I truly appreciate the nap piece. So if you are ever feeling tired, but let's say you had an appointment, like a podcast recording, Mm -hmm. I mean, are you known to push it because it's like, I need that sleep. Can we reschedule? You know, it's really tough um, because I want to be, you know, I, I really feel like in life I have a peer relationship with everyone around me, whether it's someone that's an employee or an investor or a podcaster. Um, so I battle with the just being respectful of if people are going to respect my time, I want to be equally respectful of their time. Um, but, you know, there are occasions where um, if I can, uh, one of my colleagues will, you know, fill in if they can. Um, you know, I just did three cities in four days last week. And um, and it's tough, right? I, I mean, I'm sitting on a plane on a Sunday evening, and my entire team is at home in their bed. And it's like, hey, what's going on here? You know, so I've just kind of had to reconcile that part of it is uh, 
I've got to manage my time better and my availability and uh, and all that stuff. So I try not to commit to things that I think I'll have to bail out of, which is part of that's just not being overcommitted. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, well, next, what's next on the horizon for you and Shadow Ventures? Um, well, you know, we, we're at a steady clip. You know, this year we invested in some really cool companies. One uh, was actually the largest fundraise in Texas, seed stage investment in Texas at $9 million uh, in a company called Icon 3D. We're doing 3D printed houses, which is pretty cool. Is um, that with New Story Charity? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Brett is a good buddy of mine. Yeah, so we're investors in that, and uh, you know we're going to continue to make interesting investments like that. Um, we're really ramping up our labs program. We're actually launching an Atlanta lab. So we right now we have industry specific labs, um, which are basically just incubators. Um, which we get about two hundred people will apply. We get in, we let in about thirty percent a year. Um, but we're launching our Atlanta lab uh, to focus on Atlanta, you know, Atlanta startups that are tech startups. Uh, that are B2B. And so we're, we're pushing that out next year. Um, everybody says it's uh, basically a strategy for me to figure out how to stay at home more. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like lots of exciting things. Absolutely. And um, how can people learn more about your company, you and your history and get in touch if um, if they'd like to reach out? If you go to shadow.bc, um, tells you everything about the company. There's a link to my personal website. Um, find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn um, in terms of actually communicating. Uh, Twitter and everything else just tends to be more promotional. Um, Instagram's just become this fun thing for me, but LinkedIn's kind of where um, we're serious. Great. Well, KB, thank you so much for carving out the time um, and giving up a nap. I really appreciate it. Happy early birthday. All right. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you.